Greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I'm your host, Frank Zaffiro, and this is an open and shut episode with Dick Wybrow. Now, Dick writes a an interesting series in which his private investigator isn't very typical. I'll leave it at that, let you discover how that's the case in our interview. I had a good time talking to him. He uh, used to be a DJ and a stand-up comedian, uh, and there's a, a lightness to the conversation when you're talking with him. But before we talk to Dick, I do want to remind you that Wrong Place or Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, much of it at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. If that sounds like something you'd like, you can check out their website at downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, dot com, Down and Out Books. Take the journey with us. All right. Well, real quickly then, let's get into uh, the interview with Dick Wybrow. Well, hey, Dick, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me. We talked a little bit before the show got started, and you had an an interesting path to where you are right now. Um, (laughs) First off, your bio says you're Canadian, and I love Canadians, so welcome. Where where at in Canada are you from? Uh, I am from Winnipeg. Uh, ah. Right in the sort of the Midwest there, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Manitoba. As I, as I, it, that's right, and it's it's uh, it's a lovely place. Uh, but I will tell people on occasion that some of my fellow Winnipegians don't like it so much. But it's a nice place to be from, <laughs> <laughs> and mainly it's just those winters. It's uh, forty below zero. That's mm-hmm. you know they got planes, they got cars. You should move. It's gorgeous, you know, um, during the summer. That's our favorite day of the year, summer. Um, but uh, but uh, the, the winters are a little rough. Uh, well, I'm a big hockey fan, and there seems to be a, a, a reluctance on uh, the part of a lot of players to want to go to Winnipeg. And I don't think it's because of the quality of hockey the Jets play. I think no, it has more to no. do with... Uh... It's because you can die outside. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's cold. It's very I, cold. I've spent some time, uh, never in Manitoba, but uh, I did spend some time in BC, Alberta, and Saskatchewan. And uh, uh, so I don't know what it's like in Manitoba, but boy, those Saskatchewan prairie winds during the winter, they are brutal. Yeah. Uh, Portage Avenue is known for that. Well, you know, Chicago always gets a credit for being the windy city. Uh, It's got nothing on Portage Avenue, January 17th. Nothing. So, yeah, it's cold. (laughs) But you, you grew up in the United States, it sounds like. Yeah, so um, basically my father was a New Zealander. Um, he went to the U.S. in the late 60s, um, and they've got, a, they've got a quota system, or they had a quota system then. They said, oh, we've got enough Kiwis. You can go to Canada. They'll take anybody. Uh, <laughs> and so, <laughs> so he went up there, and he met a beautiful Canadian girl um, and then slept with her sister, and nine months later, I was born. <laughs> Uh, which is an absolutely, absolutely true story, but he does not like me telling. Um, but then, so he always wanted to go to the U.S. And so when I was about nine or 10, we moved down to the U.S. So I was there, I uh, grew up there, um, went to high school in Minnesota. Um, and then uh, Did you moved know? all over the place. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but then moved all over the country, got, uh, did stand-up comedy for a couple of years, got into radio and moved around. Um, got a television shortly after that. Uh, and then about seven years ago, we crossed the pond, big, big pond, and uh, came here to New Zealand, living uh, just outside of Auckland. Well, a lot to unpack there. Um, uh, <laughs> so Minnesota, uh, anywhere else in the U.S. that you lived? Yeah, 
Yep, I lived twice in California, twice in Florida, in Pensacola, and in Orlando. I lived in Dallas. I lived in Atlanta for a couple of years. I lived in uh, Kansas City uh, as well. Yep, started radio uh, in Kansas City. East, west, and middle. Yeah, took the full tour. Now, when you were doing that, was that uh, during your time uh, doing stand-up or when you were DJing or both? Most, mostly as a, as a job because that's that's how you that's how you get better jobs. You move from market to market to market, and uh, eventually you land, landed a major market in Atlanta at a rock station there. Did you mostly work rock, uh, or did, was it whatever you could get? I mean, did you have a preference? Yeah, especially in the beginning, you know, I'd end up doing um, uh, some adult alternative, adult contemporary, some of that is female leaning rock, um, um, alternative rock. Uh, in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, in uh, just outside of Los Angeles. Uh, but mainly it was rock and also did talk radio, uh, FM talk radio at the end. I'm just curious, uh, disc jockeying, you know, I mean, there's there's a podcast all, all in and of itself, but uh, that must have changed a bit over the course of your career. It seems like it's undergone it some shifts. It did. Um, they got rid of the rate. I'm not a huge fan of regulation in some cases, but they got rid of regulation, I think, in 1998, which meant that these big, huge companies uh, could buy as many radio stations as they want to. Uh, before then, it had been limited. But the problem with owning a couple thousand radio stations, if you're a giant company, is they all begin to sound the same. Mm-hmm. And so it just completely, it took all the creativity out. Uh, and there was a real fear version amongst the bosses. So guys like me, who like to push the envelope a little bit, it wasn't really an environment you wanted to be a part of anymore. So that's why a lot of those guys you might have listened to some years ago aren't around anymore. I liked connecting to people. I liked their stories. Mm-hmm. And so we had a way, or I feel that the partners that I had over the years had a way of connecting into the communities. And even though it was a goof and it was a lot of fun, and sometimes we really push it pretty far, in the end, it was kind of, I want to say it was trying to make things better. But there was an awareness there, you know, mm-hmm. um, actually in Pensacola, um, there was an incident where somebody was uh, whipped around a bus and clipped a kid. And we found out that the fine for that was like 50 bucks or 100 bucks. And so, one of the, you know, it wasn't a worthy campaign, but it was a lot of humor and, and some pretty over the top stuff. But part of it was just that, hey, this isn't right. And so we highlighted that with some humor. Um, and eventually, I believe they ended up changing that. They changed the law. They ended up increasing the fine. Um, wow. Just, I don't know if it helps a whole lot, but uh, just that sort of thing. Just, you know, kind of being a part of a community storyline and mm-hmm. getting invested in that uh, was always really a fun thing to do. Well, and it would seem that DJing uh, in that fashion is really just a sister uh, endeavor to stand up. I mean, they don't seem that far apart when you put it that way. Um, how long did you do stand up? I did stand up for a couple of years, um, up to the Midwest, through Minneapolis and Iowa and Wisconsin, even back in Winnipeg once with a guy named Larry Miller. But uh, I got tired of all the driving, uh, <laughs> to be honest. You spent a lot of time on the road. And so uh, basically, at the time, especially uh, going into to radio, it was like, it was like stand-up comedy without uh, being behind the wheel. So yeah, it, they're very similar. Mm-hmm. Did you have a uh, a style or a or a, a focus? I mean, did you you know like different comedians tell different kinds of jokes? Did you have a genre of jokes, or was it all over the map, or what? 
I think it, you know, it's funny. Um, in in the Helling series, I have the main characters next to Egypt. And you probably would find, you know, as we do, a lot of our characters are just facets of ourselves. So his sort of sort of style, it's self-deprecating, but it's also there's an aggression to it on occasion when somebody's got it coming. Um, but always with humor. So that I think that was my style, you know. I was always willing to be the target of the joke if it, if it was funny. Well, and that uh, is a great segue to Raz Frewer, who is the protagonist in your Hell Incorporated series. Um, that's not quite the the uh, as crime fiction as your other series that I want to get into in a second, the uh, Painter Man series. But, uh, but what's Hell Incorporated about? Uh, Hell Link is... It's, it's like I said, it's quite humorous, but it's about a guy who's trying to save his dying wife and he makes a deal with the devil. Uh, the devil says, go, go around, get these five pieces of this ancient lamp and this lamp can cure her. But the devil wants a lamp for himself. Uh, he's got trouble back home. <laughs> There's a new upstart in town called Hell Inc. Just trying to take over. And there are a bunch of these guys are the new blood. You know, these are dead brand managers and corporate accounts and lawyers, and they want to run the show. And so the devil is avoiding basically a corporate takeover of hell. And he needs this lamp that Raz is getting to save his wife, but he needs this lamp because it's a weapon. He wants to use it to wipe out hell. Inc. So it's kind of a dual storyline. Well, those deals with the devil always work out uh, in our favor. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much. And that's, it's it, which is that running theme through the series. You know, every time you think you got one over on the devil, it's like, nah, he's been doing this a while. Well, and, and that, you know, there's a supernatural element to that, obviously, but that is also true of your painter man series, uh, about a private investigator who, uh, well, he's got something going on that maybe is a little different than your average PI. <laughs> yeah. Cause painter man, you know, he died, he dies at the beginning. Uh, so he's a ghost. Uh, and when we first meet Painter Man in the first book of the between, he remembers almost nothing about being alive. Um, and he, but he's got this notion in his head that he's supposed to do something good. And it's, it's really all he's got. And he realizes the best thing he can do is take down sort of this, the boss who made this ghost world, this in-between. So ultimately, that's his goal. And so he decides that he is going to become a private investigator to find out who this person is. That's the overarching arc of the entire series. But his sort of, his main gig is the people who have, or the ghosts who have populated the in-between, they're all murder victims. Everyone who's there has died uh, by the hand of somebody else. And that person who killed them isn't known uh, to the living world. So his job is to investigate how they died, who killed them, and then once he can get that known into the real world, uh, then they can move on. And so that's sort of his, that's his day job. So he's almost a gatekeeper in, in a sense. Yeah. For, for yeah. people to he find helps. their way to peace. He helps folks move on. Um, but sort of the challenge, one of the challenges he has is, is he doesn't have a direct line to the real world. <laughs> so he has to get people to help him. So he has this group of folks that he calls temps. Um, and so within this world and in between, if somebody is is very close to death, especially you know, like an old person within a short, you're going to be dead very soon. Some of them, very few of them can actually hear ghosts like Painter Man. So Painter Man recruits at old folks homes <laughs> and he hires basically these temps and he partners with them. So once he's found out the information about this murder victim, he gets that to the temps. 
and then they publish it online in a blog or a Wikipedia page or something, and that helps these per- these people move on. It's an interesting, uh, fascinating, and very, uh, I think, inventive mechanism there. I, I mean, the idea of helping people move on has been done in, in different ways, but the way you're going about it, I think, is pretty unique. So book one is the in-between. Book two is the night vanishing. Uh, the third one, uh, Past Life, is coming out on uh, April 19th. That's right. And this one is, uh, one thing Painter, he's pretty self-aware for a ghost. And he realizes, even though he is uh, the world's best dead private detective, he is the only dead private detective. So likes to make it clear that he's also the worst <laughs> dead private detective. <laughs> uh, he realizes he's just not very good at this whole um, investigator thing, detective thing. So what he does is he finds, um, he decides to find somebody that he can sort of be an apprentice of, or at least follow around. And there's these series of killings in Atlanta. And there's this um, a woman named Ellie Walsh, and she is a retired Irish detective. And she's actually partnered up uh, with a guy named Paul Barnes, who's part of a suburban Atlanta police force. And they're investigating this string of murders. And Painter is following this along, but then begins to realize that this string of murders also affects what's happening in his world and in between. So he also begins to investigate. So there's basically two books going at the same time. It's the same set of crimes, but they're investigating it from two different sides. And not to give too much away, they're both chasing two different bad guys, and they're both right. Um, and so it's kind of fun how these both of these worlds kind of meld together. Um, Ellie Walsh and Paul never know that Painter's there. Uh, Painter, of course, is a ghost, and so he's sort of following them around, picking up clues um, in this investigation, which is part of that overall arc I described at the beginning, mm-hmm. seeking that big boss who created the in-between to finally destroy them and uh, get rid of that world. You said this takes place in Atlanta. Uh, where did the first two yeah. take place? So the first one was partially in Atlanta and Minneapolis, and then the second one takes place in New Orleans. Uh, he goes down there in the the night vanishing uh, to sort of look into his own past. And in doing so, uh, he comes across for the first time, he comes across uh, the person who is responsible for the creation of the in-between. And the night vanishing is about, uh, there's hundreds of missing ghosts um, that just sort of vanished. They haven't moved on, they've just vanished. And so he his job is to find out what's happened to them in dream. Well, you've created quite a, a, a universe here, and it, it's reminiscent of Kat Richardson's Greywalker a little bit, in that, except that her PI was alive and could speak with <laughs> supernatural folks. And, and I just finished listening to Stephen King's new book later on, uh, on audio. It's really well uh, narrated, and there's an element of that as well. But both of those are told from the perspective of the you know, live human uh, interacting with the land of the dead or some aspect of it. And, and you've got uh, Painter Man here is uh, on the other side of that uh, veil. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's funny because, and I, I don't know if you had the same as me, uh, but I think a lot of authors struggle with being defined. Um, and so a lot of times people define me as like a humor author, a paranormal author, whatever it might be. But ultimately, it comes down to just storytelling. But mm-hmm. with past life, it is, it's a crime story. It's because crime writing, great, I feel, great crime writing is about people sort of finding their way, you know, the good guys and the bad. They got dealt a hand and they're trying to play it and they're just moving the cards around. Uh, just like Painter, he's a dead guy, goes to the sort of bizarre and dangerous world and he's just trying to bring a little light because that brings out the light inside of him 
And it's a fun character to write, to be honest, um, because even though I set up parameters for these characters, you know, and I know how woo-woo it sounds, but they eventually start to tell me the story. I'm just taking notes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very good description of what crime fiction and good storytelling is in general. I think it's uh, bang on. So Past Life, uh, April 19th, the third book of the Painter Man series, one of uh, two, uh, I would say it's fair to say paranormal-ish series uh, from, yeah, yeah, from Dick Wybrow. Uh, Dick, I want to tell you thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it, man. And good luck with all your writing as well. And I really love the podcast. Thanks. All right, folks, there you are, Dick Wybrow, an enjoyable interview, an interesting main character, uh, and uh, a premise that I don't think is super common. So uh, if you like a little paranormal in your detectiving, uh, check it out. Next episode on Wrong Place, Right Crime, we're going to do something a little bit different. It is a feature episode, but instead of featuring one author, we're going to do a triple shot uh, of very different folks. Uh, We're going to talk to Sandra Wells, uh, an author from Tennessee. We're going to talk to Coleman Keene, an avid reader and book reviewer. Uh, And we're going to talk to Scott Kakawa, uh, who is a uh, Hawaii-based writer. Uh, All three very interesting for very different reasons. Uh, So I'm looking forward to a feature episode that uh, is going to be more like a variety show uh, in terms of all the different folks. And of course, we will have some uh, book recommendations uh, thrown in there as well. And uh, we'll hear from Lance Wright uh, from Down and Out Books about April releases. That's next episode on Wrong Place or Right Crime. Uh, in Zafiro news, uh, no new releases necessarily. I did want to mention that uh, I am appearing in the Colin Conway edited anthology, The Eviction of Hope, which shall come out in May. Uh, it has a pretty stellar cast of, of authors, and I was very fortunate to be part of it. My story is called The Rumor in 411. Uh, you can uh, find The Eviction of Hope uh, on the anthologies page of, on my website at frankzafiro.com. Uh, I'm also pleased to announce uh, that, uh, as discussed a little bit in uh, the Michael Poole episode, my novella, Hallmarks of the Job, uh, is going to come out from uh, P.I. Tales as part of a double feature, along with a story by Michael Bracken. Uh, And that's going to happen in the summer. So that's pretty cool. We're going to see the uh, first appearance of a new character, Stanley Melvin, uh, but I don't think it'll be his last appearance. I'd like to say a thank you to Dick for coming on the show, for reaching out to me in the first place uh, with an interest to, to come on, and uh, to Down Out Books for being the sponsor, and of course to you, the listener, for coming along on this ride and being part of it. Please smash the like, share, or other positive buttons that may be associated with wherever you're listening to this podcast. Tell your friends, uh, the more the merrier, uh, but I certainly appreciate you uh, being here. It makes it all mean more. Um, I certainly enjoy the conversations I have with the writers, and I get a lot out of it. Uh, but knowing that somebody else might be discovering someone that they've never heard of and enjoying their work uh, just amplifies it. Triple feature on our next episode of Wrong Place, Right Crime. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime. <laughs> <laughs>